Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic. Found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Lance Banks said talking to Claire O'Kane is like meeting Janine Garofalo circa 1991. O'Kane started stand-up comedy in the San Francisco Bay Area, then moved to Los Angeles for love, moved in with other comedians, and stars in the new Viceland cable channel showcasing stand-up comedy houses called Flophouse. O'Kane also has written for SpongeBob SquarePants and for Vice, and she's performed in festivals from Bridgetown to Edinburgh. So let's get to it! So, Claire O'Kane, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Thanks for having me. So, uh, I just had Lance Bangs, the director of Flophouse, on the podcast, and he was uh, reminiscing already about the first time he saw you (laughs) at the (laughs) L.A. Flophouse. What do you remember about the first time you met Lance? I met Lance at the Bridgetown Comedy Festival. Okay. I was doing his, uh, he had like a showcase Mm -hmm. there, and he had me on. And then recently I, he told me he put me on because he liked the way my headshot looked <laughs> because I was wearing an, like a shitty old, my dad's old leather jacket from the fifties. Okay. And I had a beanie on and it was like not a headshot really. Yeah. It was more just like a picture my friend took of me and he's like, yeah, I saw that and I thought you looked cool. So I looked at your video and I liked it a lot. So I put you on the show. It's like, oh, okay. And when was that? How long ago? Uh, he just told me that the other day. But no, but when was that oh, Bridgetown? Bridgetown? Which, which, which year of Bridgetown? This was last year. Okay. Yeah. So even in 2015, headshots still have value. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. I mean, color headshots, sure. Digital. <laughs> but, um, yeah, he, and I met him. He was very quiet and nice, and I've heard all about him. I know his work. And... Yeah. But, but that's, fa- but the headshot <laughs> thing is still fascinating to me because if you go into, I mean, most alt rooms don't have headshots. No. And comedy clubs that you go into, all the headshots are generally 10 or 20 years old. If not 30. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That would be cool if alt rooms did have headshots, though, in the style of, like, black and white arrow through the head. Have you, like have that. you ever played a room that did have No. Huh? Just regular clubs. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> no, but I would like that. I guess the closest I've seen... Now that I'm thinking about it, which is the first time I've thought about it, mm-hmm. uh, the creek in the cave in Long Island City does have oh, yeah, does have photos plastered mm-hmm. all over the bathrooms. Yeah, of performers at the creek in the cave. Yes, those are nice. Yeah, yeah, those are what Mindy Tucker. Most likely, Every, most likely Mindy Tucker. Yeah, mm-hmm. there are a handful of photographers in New York, and probably a couple also in LA who are yes, I known see. as the comedy mm-hmm. photogs. Yes, most definitely. Um. Is that who you got to do your headshot, or were... No, no, no. This was just a friend of a friend who had a nice camera. Okay. And I asked her if she could take pictures <laughs> of me. We just walked around the street. But that's it. There is an art to it, I think, to taking stand-up photos. Right. Because there are a lot of bad angles. When you're taking a picture of somebody talking and gesticulating, it can be very unflattering. Right. How do you convey comedy through a photo without becoming so cliche and holding up an old prop? I don't know. Wide mouth, <laughs> like you're yelling. You now, know. when you were growing up, did you picture yourself as 
the face of a brand new cable channel. No way. What did you picture for yourself? Do you you're from the Bay Area originally, or that's just where you started comedy? Yeah, I'm from San Jose, mm-hmm. which is more like the South Bay. Right. It's an hour south of San Francisco. But I, I'd always wanted to do comedy, and I was a huge fan ever since I was a, like a teen of Stella and mm-hmm. um, like Eugene Merman. I remember I bought that uh, what's that Eugene Merman album, the live at Invite Them Up. Mm-hmm. The, the Rafifi one? Yeah, yeah. So I'd listen to that all the time, and I was kind of obsessed with specifically New York comedy. And But I never thought I could do it. I thought, like, I, well, I could never be as good as these people, so I might as well not try. I'll just be a fan. And so, what did, so what was your plan at that, at that point as a teenager? What did you think you were going to be when you grew up? I was going to be a photographer. Okay. Be a photojournalist. Oh, photojournalist. Mm-hmm, exactly. Just to get the hard-hitting news. And also make art out of it. And then um, I wanted to skateboard. I skateboarded a lot. But at some point, I I was afraid of getting hurt. Okay. So I didn't really progress <laughs> too Did much. Did you do any kind of uh, circuits, uh, regionals for X Games? No. <laughs> no, you weren't. Were, were... Uh-uh. I was once in featured in a Puerto Rican skateboard magazine okay. when I was 14. And that was... How, how did you get that gig? Well, I was the only girl at the skate park, and they were very excited to see that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I wasn't even particularly good. This was still in San Jose? This, Yeah, this was in San Jose. Okay. And I was skateboarding in a, in a pool, an empty pool. And I was the only girl doing it, and the other guys were just like 40-year-old, like, hesh or like, hardcore dudes. Yeah. And um, they were like, oh, this is very interesting. This little woman is trying to do this. And so they put me in a picture of me and my mom... My mom watching me skateboard. <laughs> it's very weird. How many copies of that magazine does your mom have? Uh, zero because she's dead. Uh, but I have one. I have one. You didn't put any in her coffin? No. I should. <laughs> Just to remember. See how I spun that around? Remember how I was good at something once? <laughs> and then I quit? Uh, how old were you when she died? Uh, 20. Okay. And I'm 25 now. Was was it sudden, or did you have time to brace she, for it? No, she had lung cancer. Okay. And it was very, uh, what is it called, progress, progressive. I don't know if that's a, if that's the word. But um, Where were you yeah. in your stand-up career at that point? I hadn't started yet. I okay. St- I started like, I did my first open mic maybe two weeks after she died. Was that, was that cause and effect I real? I think so, yeah. It was very like... No, well, life is short, and you should do what you want to do, or at least try it. Right. And I had a bunch of friends who kept trying to egg me on to do it. Were they in stand-up already, or...? No, 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 I didn't know anybody. And then I went to this open mic, which was at a Brainwash Cafe, which is a cafe-slash-laundromat in San Francisco. How did you find that? I don't know. I think If some... you didn't have any friends in comedy... I think there was, at the art school I was going to, there was a stand-up comedy class. Okay. And their um, their final was that they had to go to this open mic and do a set. And right. my friend had been in the class, and she was like, I didn't explain so you can go there every mm-hmm. Thursday. And so I went and got really drunk and <laughs> my, did my first shitty set. But it went well enough to where I was like, yeah, I, can, I'm, I guess I can do this for the rest of my life. <laughs> How long did it take you to figure out the rest of the San Francisco Bay Area comedy scene? Not long. Once you start talking to people, I mean, you know, comedy is a bunch of different people who couldn't find their place in other things. And so they really 
kind of ingratiate themselves <laughs> in it, like hardcore. So you subscribe to the Island of Misfit Toys? Yeah, I think theory so. Theory of stand-up comedy? I think so. Just like with any... I, I'm trying to think what else would be like that. Maybe like music, like mm-hmm. punk bands kind of thing. Everybody kind of gets to know each other and then immediately locks in and then you find out all about each other within, you know, a couple of days. Who was your first comedy friend? Oh, my first comedy friend? Yeah. I remember... The first comedian that you kind of bonded with and you're like, okay, I'm not... it. I'm not alone in this. Maybe my friend David Borey mm-hmm. is a comedian from San Francisco. He lives in L.A. now. But it, he was the one who, he's also just very personable. And I don't like talking that much to, to strangers. <laughs> but he And yet you sit right here. Exactly. <laughs> well, this is a, a different setup. Okay. <laughs> we have microphones. <laughs> but, um, yeah, for whatever reason, I really locked in with him. And we've been really good friends ever since. The first person I actually talked to, though, was a guy named Christian Picasso, okay. who um, might is unstable. <laughs> now, were those were those two people already in comedy for a while, or were they brand new like you? David was pretty new, but he had been doing. He started maybe like a month before I did, mm-hmm. and I think Chris was just kind of farting around. Okay, yeah, for a couple of years. How how many weeks or months of going to the laundromat and other open mics before you got? Like a big break. I remember the first real showcase I did was after there was a big tsunami in um in Japan. It was either Japan or maybe I think it was Japan. Yeah. And they were doing a benefit for it at this place called the Makeout Room. Okay. And that was my first real showcase. Was this benefit? And my me- aunties came out. Do you remember who else was on the bill for that? Oh man. Any big names? No, maybe soon to be. Do you know Amy Miller? Mm-hmm. Amy was on yeah, it. Yeah, she was just on Last Comic Standing last yeah, year. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think Amy was on it. Mm-hmm. Um, this guy named Kasim Bentley, mm-hmm. who's from San Francisco. He's going to be on Flophouse as well. And uh, I can't remember anybody okay. else. But I remember it was not as good as I would hoped. <laughs> I do remember that. But that was your big break. Yes, I suppose. Hmm. <laughs> it was a break of sorts. Yeah. I don't know if it was big. But some something broke. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. Now I met uh I met Josh Androsky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh I was in Los Angeles last month mm-hmm. and I met him. And he told me that you guys met while you were on a show together mm-hmm. that was going horribly awry mm-hmm. but you saved the day. And he <laughs> fell for you immediately. Yeah, that's our story. What <laughs> what's your version of the story? Uh well, I didn't like Josh when I first met him, mm-hmm. or I wasn't really, a, um, I didn't think that we would end up being as good of friends as we became, we became because he's very loud and, uh, you know, gregarious. And like I said, I'm very, You're introspective. Very, and sh- yeah, introverted and introspective. Right. Um, so he was a little uh, too abrasive for me, <laughs> but he was very nice, and I remember getting along with him. And then uh, we were on the show together. It was my friend Justin Gomes' birthday show. And I don't even know where the fuck it was. It was like a rented hall. Okay. And um, for whatever reason, people could just kind of wander in. And these three drunk Irish guys wandered in. And they sat in the very front. And there wasn't really like a stage. It was just like everybody's on the same level. Right. And they had a jazz That's band. That's a rented hall. Yeah, rented hall. And the just the whole show, these Irish guys were, you know heckling everybody and just being drunk idiots and getting up and like dancing and during people's sets <laughs> like right in front of them and then i went on and 
I made the band play some music and I kind of did stand up over the band, which is the first time I've ever done that, which is, by the way, the best way to do it, I think, because then there's no silence and right. uh, to get lost in. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I don't know. I just kind of told him to fuck off and however I said that. And <laughs> <laughs> I really can't remember specifics. Maybe Josh could. Okay. But, um, and then Josh was really complimentary afterwards. Right. And how long ago did you move to Los Angeles? I moved about two years ago, a little, okay. almost three. And did you move into that flop house or? No. You just were visiting the garage and. I just visited. And, <laughs> and vandalizing it with your own graffiti? Yeah. At some point, Josh and I started dating mm-hmm. and I would, um, visit, I don't know, a week, a month. So I'd, we'd commute back and forth for okay. about a year. And, uh, yeah, just, you know, hang out there, fart around, shoot arrows. For whatever reason, somebody left a bunch of spray paint, so we spray painted there the inside of their garage with dicks and the word "come." <laughs> you know, classic. Right. Yeah. Now you talk about a little bit about that in uh, giving a tour in the first episode of Flop House. I do. Yes, which is very, this <laughs> is very odd because it's just like oh, I just you know I just spray painted "come." I don't see what the big deal right. is. But um, yeah, I spent a lot of time at that house just hanging out even before Josh and I dated. I'd crash on the couch and. So he lived there. Yeah, he lived there okay. for a long time. Have you lived with comedians before? No, never. He was the first one. So, <laughs> what? What was your first impression then? Like visiting that house. I loved it. Mm-hmm. I liked it a lot. I mean, you know, when people are in your same schedule, you don't feel like you're bothering anybody when you come in late. Mm-hmm. It, there was a great porch. There's a great porch in front that you can just smoke forever and then talk and it was just a nice place to commiserate and uh feel it was very homey like that this when you get a bunch of comedians in one house it's i think it it can go wrong ego wise yeah i was gonna say uh, what's the ideal number of comedians to be living together (laughs) probably no more than three (laughs) Uh, and how many tend to live in the flop house i think well the one in san francisco um the sylvan house they call it there may be 12 people living there. In what neighborhood in San Francisco? In the Richmond. Okay. And there are not that many rooms. I'm going (laughs) to say there are five rooms. There's a little nook under the stairs Mm -hmm. that's definitely a closet that people (laughs) kind of go in and out of. Uh, But this, the one in Highland Park, the one where the first episode takes place, that's the most ideal, I think. There's enough space for a party or whatever. Or to actually put on a show. To put on a show to just hang out comfortably. Now I've been to show, I've been to comedy shows that are in living rooms or mm-hmm. even uh, rented out Airbnbs mm-hmm. or Craigslist, where they just go, "Oh, we're just going to take over this for one night." Yeah, this yeah. place for a night and put on a show. That's cool. Or like even rave style, where you just take over a loft. Yeah. What What inspires the comedians to put on a show in their own house? Um, comfort. I think also just a place where you can run away, mm-hmm. <laughs> where you can hide if things <laughs> don't go well. <laughs> and then you don't have to, you know, drive all the way from the West side and for an hour and then just kind of think about what you've done and why you should probably quit because you're terrible or whatever. <laughs> Question everything you've ever done regarding standup. But isn't it trickier if, if things don't go well to have your audience still in your house? 
I guess that's true, but then you can also kick them out if you're right. brazen enough. <laughs> but I think um, people tend to be a little more forgiving when it's your house. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think people feel that just in inherently. Like, you're in somebody's house. You have to be nice. Right. They're the host. Whether people you know, follow that or not right. um, is up to them. But it re- usually feels that way. How often are the houses in in Highland Park, L.A., in the Richmond, in San Francisco, mm-hmm. how often are those houses hosting live stand-up? Sullivan House in San Francisco a lot. Um, but I think not so much anymore because they're definitely going to be evicted. I mean, noise complaints. Same with Highland Park. There have been a lot of noise complaints. Mm. Uh, so probably not much for the time being. <laughs> well, at least, at least you got enough for Vice. Yeah, at least you got Vice it on Land. camera and yeah. the history is recorded. But <laughs> other than that, I don't know how much longer it's going to last. Uh, how did, how did the conversation evolve with, with Lance to get you to go on the road with him to the other cities? Um, there was not much conversation to it. It was mostly he, he liked what I had done on the first flop house, mm-hmm. and I think the cut that they sh- he showed the higher ups, they really liked the way I, for whatever reason, <laughs> liked the way I showed people around the house mm-hmm. and talked on camera, and that's the first time I'd ever really done anything like that. So it was very surprising to hear <laughs> that I was good at it. To realize you could be a host, <laughs> yeah, type which, person, yeah, which I'm still still travel guide questionable. to to weird comedy, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're in here. We're in where we're we're in Brooklyn, New York. I couldn't. I don't know. It doesn't seem natural to me. But um, yeah, he was kind of just like, "Do you want to go go to this city? This mm-hmm. city? This city? Yeah." You find <laughs> me out because I'm broke. <laughs> yeah. Uh, have you had day jobs this whole time, or mm-hmm. yeah, for a while in LA, I was working at a burger place, mm-hmm. and you know, like a place where you have to wear a hat, like a baseball cap. Yeah, oh, not uh, like, not like In and Out. No, no, no. Cap? Like, and it's like a like a ten dollar burger. We're oh, talking here. okay. And um, did that for a while, mm-hmm. and it kind of st- was soul sucking. They were all very nice there, though. But it, you know, when you when you're doing something that you already know you don't want to do, and that won't be right, you're the rest of your life. You checked out kind of immediately, at least for me. So I wasn't. I didn't try hard enough <laughs> to like it because I was like, oh, I'll be out of here soon. And then I work for a party photo booth company where I set those up. I go to bar mitzvahs mm-hmm. and watch people take pictures of themselves and get drunk. That's become a really popular thing with comedy shows yeah. and parties here in New York. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's true in L.A. too. But yes, most definitely. I see on Facebook a lot of comedy show parties have these photo booths. Yeah, these really nice yeah. Yeah, setups. <laughs> people like taking pictures of themselves and... Too. Yeah, and showing other people how much fun <laughs> they're having all the time, and the brief moments <laughs> of happiness. Uh, I did that, and mm-hmm. then what else did I do? For a while, I was super broken. I just kind of just sold clo- like my clothes, and you know, go to Crossroads every so often and get some extra cash. But uh, did you learn what the what the best items were that Crossroads wanted? <sighs> yeah, nothing, nothing <laughs> that I had. Nothing, <laughs> nothing that cool in my opinion. They're very harsh there. They're very, no. they're very, make sure that, you know, you're not worth their time. Right. <laughs> so, but now that, now that you have this Viceland show, mm-hmm. has that, how has that changed your lifestyle and career already? 
Other than flying across the country to do podcast interviews. Yeah, there's that, which is really cool. It's all, it's mostly surreal. Just the idea of being on TV and not actively seeking that out. Mm -hmm. It's kind of just happening, which I think happens a lot with comedians or people who are trying to do what we do. If you are persistent enough and if you kind of show face and meet enough people, something's got to give. And also, I guess if you have talent, I don't know. Sometimes not. But, um, yeah, it kind of just happened, and I wasn't seeking it out. Uh, and so I don't really know how to feel about it still. Because <laughs> there isn't always a feeling of, like, what's what's that? Imposter syndrome. Okay. Where you, you feel like you didn't, because it doesn't feel like work. Right. Therefore, when you get something. You don't think you've earned this? You feel like you don't, you haven't earned it, or for whatever reason, you don't deserve it. So I still feel a little bit of that, but mostly I'm just trying to enjoy it. So how did you handle uh, meeting the TV Critics Association? And I was <laughs> and put you front and center for that. It was very weird. It was nice because I didn't really have to say anything on the panel. So that wasn't too bad. Oh, okay. But I did get my makeup done for the first time, which was an experience. I learned the importance of eye drops if you look tired. Okay. I also learned that. You know, even if it's a big thing like the Television Critics Association, they'll still spell your name wrong on your name tag and call mm. you Clark. <laughs> oh, I thought I thought you were going to go with the other version of Claire. Oh no, no, just straight to Clark. <laughs> I've gotten um, I've gotten McCartney instead of McCarthy. I can so see people that. will ask me if I'm related to Paul McCartney. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'll go, nope. <laughs> like there are no other McCartneys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But also, it's McCarthy, not McCartney. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The one thing about, if you bring up getting your name spelled wrong, it boggles my mind that the comedians are always getting their names misspelled. I know, especially since we're online, all the, like, that's how people find out about. But comedy clubs will, will spell your name wrong in a, in an an ad. Yeah. And it happens to people who have been in the business for decades, like Kevin Pollock. Mm -hmm. Routinely, people misspell Pollock. Yeah. Mark Marin, even, people, Put, Marin. No, they make them with, it's usually the, the simple things like a K instead of a C. Mm-hmm. Todd Berry told me that someone once spelled his name T-O-O-D-B-A-R-R-I. <laughs> I think I took a photo of that. Yeah, really? <laughs> Todd Berry? <laughs> I hope you did. Just tweeted at him. It's, it's like, it's crazy. And even, I mean, it, I don't want to be like a diva whenever somebody spells my name wrong on a flyer or whatever, but I'm like, you sent me a Facebook message. You saw my name. You had to like look up my name. Right. And it's right there it's on right the Facebook message, at the top of the Facebook message. I try really hard to be good at that if I ever make a flyer <laughs> whenever I book people for shows. That's nice. It's nice to get people's names right. Uh, you know, you mentioned when you were growing up wanting to be in photojournalism. Mm-hmm. So being part of the Vice family, does that, yeah, does it's, that it's kind, kind of perfect? Of- <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like everything worked out. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's very strange. And I'm, I'm very excited about what they're doing with Viceland. Mm-hmm. Everything they're doing is interesting and not, doesn't feel contrived or pretentious at all, which I'm sure some from the outside, a lot of people might think that about Vice. That it's like, you know, art, hipster, right. you know, assholes. <laughs> but, uh, it's really, people are working really hard to make something, um, very true to how, Things are actually. Did you watch the episode of Documentary Now? 
I know Seth, I haven't. That uh, Fred Armisen and Bill Hader did. I've seen clips playing of it. Ice. Yeah. It's pretty. It's pretty on point. It's pretty on point. <laughs> well, and they actually have said in interviews that they had the cooperation of Vice. Oh, yeah, yeah, To yeah, help yeah. make it accurate. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. We had to, I did a roast of Shane Smith, who's like the. Yeah, yeah. He's the head dude. Head dude. Yeah. And Fred Armisen was on it, and he did his documentary now character, and <laughs> and then you know the whole audience is like rich CEOs and heads of HBO and whatever, and they were all very confused. <laughs> they didn't they didn't get it. How how are you as a roaster? I thought I did pretty well. Yeah, yeah. Josh and some friends helped me write the jokes. Okay, like a like a real roast, and uh, it went like way too like usually I don't say this, but it went way too well. <laughs> For it was like eleven a.m. Mm-hmm. People were eating. Everyone was, you know, someone who I would never would have met in any other <laughs> circumstance, who I wouldn't think I would vibe with. But uh, they liked it a lot. Did it go so well that you thought, oh, maybe this is my new style of comedy? Is... A little bit, yeah. <laughs> maybe this is what I should be doing exactly. on stage. It's hard for me to be snarky and mean, though. I don't. It doesn't come too naturally. No, you do have a pleasant aura about you. Good. That's good. <laughs> I'm glad. I ho- I'm glad that comes off, even though I didn't get much sleep. <laughs> oh well, now that I know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Usually, I'm a little salty. <laughs> so, what's the? Um, I know you've you've already mentioned some some great advice. What's the last uh, great bit of advice you've received, especially over this last kind of year or two? Is things have um, things have broken for you? Someone. Oh my god, burping. <laughs> someone told me something recently that I'm. Trying to remember. Um, well, and regarding the whole imposter syndrome. Yeah. Just to remember, like, you know, somebody did take notice and cared enough about you and what you do and liked you enough to actually go through with talking to you and um, bringing you into a thing to be a part of it, giving you an opportunity. And just to remember that, you know, you. If things like this happen, you are doing something right, and it should only fuel you to keep doing what you're doing and to focus on, you know, getting even better. Um, also, just just in regards to living in L.A. and how kind of depressing and lonely it can be, right? just to, to go out as much as possible and show face and meet people, um, you know, just mostly for your mental health. But also for your career, right? Yeah, it's it's good to to be around, to be remembered, and to to show people that you work hard because people do take note of that. Would the would the first advice you you give a a new comic mm-hmm. be different if they if they were in L.A. or if they were in San Francisco or somewhere else? Yeah. What would. would what would the first thing you tell someone new? Well, someone new, say in San Francisco, mm-hmm. um, is just get acquainted. With everyone and everything, um, not necessarily as quickly as possible, but at your own speed, because there is no—you can only go so far goal-wise in San Francisco. You can um, be a regular at the clubs, right. and then at some point you'll move if you want to further your career. So just enjoy it, and it's a place where, you know, not that much entertainment is available like that. Um, or that people seek out as much. Right. So it is, it makes the shows that much more special when people do come out. It makes, um, the audiences are a little more mixed. So you can try a lot, lots of different things to find out 
what works best for you um, and then exercise that. And I say staying in San Francisco as long as you can or cities like it, mm-hmm. Austin, Denver. Um, Denver's probably a little more advanced but because um, a lot more stuff is coming out of Denver now. People are paying attention to Denver, which is very cool. Yeah, it's a scene on the rise. It really is. Um, but to just stick with it until you feel like you've done all you can do there, um, unless something else is keeping you back. But otherwise, it's one of the best cities to start in. And then L.A., don't expect to be, uh, you know, greeted as warmly as you would at a, a regular show in San Francisco that you are, you know, are able to headline. Right. Because people don't know that about you yet. They don't know that you can do that yet. So don't expect to get those opportunities right away. Um, I wish somebody, I mean, I kind of knew that going in L.A., but I had a lot of friends. I traveled back and forth a lot. So I would kind of see how they were doing and how they dealt with that. But it is the same thing. It's like once you move to L.A., immediately go out, meet as many people as you can, and make sure people, um, you know, see you at your best um, just as a person and, yeah, as a performer. Well, Claire, hey, that sounds good. Yeah, it sounds great. <laughs> well, Claire, thank you so much for for coming out. Yeah, thank you so much. Coming for out of your me. apartment in your city to come meet me. Oh, sure, of course, <laughs> anytime. I look forward to uh, seeing what happens next. Yes, me too. It's very exciting. Yay! Yay. <laughs> Thanks. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. Theme music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Gigglechick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Thanks first.